Good morning. Glad you are here. I got a couple of things I need to um, do real quick too. Today, uh, four o'clock, we've got um, a membership dessert. So we do dessert with it uh, just to make it kind of fun. But here's, um, here's the membership packet and it's out at the information center in the foyer out there. And I would just say this to you, if you're not a member, but Jubilee is your home, what's the difference between a church you attend and a church that's your home? It's the one that you've decided, hey, I'm there for the long term. I'm putting down roots. I want to be a part of it. Uh, I don't want to just observe, and I don't want to just kind of, you know, like a, a touch and go um, with an aircraft, touch down and then take back off again. You'd come and you'd land and you'd say, hey, this is my church. And I think when you do that and when you say, I want to put down permanent roots, there's an opportunity for more to happen spiritually in your life than if you just kind of touch and go. Does that make sense right there? So I would encourage you with this. And taking it doesn't obligate you to become a member. But if you're thinking about it, you should grab this. You should go through it. We do a class over this, and then at the end of it is a chance to become a member if you want to. If you want to attend the class and you need to pray about it, that's fine too. Um, don't want you to do it just to do it. We don't believe. I, you know, I attended a church one time. Everyone who shook the pastor's hand got put on the membership roll. <laughs> so the church was like 500 people, but they had a membership of like 30,000 people, right? I. What's, I don't get the purpose for that, right? It should be something that it's somebody who says, hey, I, I get it. This is my church. It's not just another church. It's my church, and I want to be a part. So if you're interested, uh, you can pick this up at the information center. And then also I wanted to encourage what Pastor Jonathan said. Um, take a few minutes today and stop at the table that's out there and check out missions. He, he said it in a very kind way. It's been on pause for a couple of years Dude, that's a, the nicest way to say it. It's like uh, it was just jerked. Yeah, the brakes were slammed on. And doing missions uh, during the pandemic has been... How many of you experienced some kind of difficulty during the pandemic, huh? Um, you could imagine, and if you remember, even traveling, how difficult it was. Our missionaries in different parts of the world were so shut down. In fact, those that have been with us for a little while, you remember about two years ago... Um, I auctioned off a motorcycle uh, for our missionaries. We raised, I, in that offering, it was over $200,000. The motorcycle didn't raise $200,000. It was a part of the offering. But the church gave $230,000 or something like that for five of our missionaries who were just so locked down. They couldn't get out of the country. They couldn't get people into the country. Uh, funds became dried up, and Jubilee was able to step. You were able to step in and help in a situation like that. God's always done something supernatural here in our church through generosity, through missions, through outreach. Um, that spirit is so important for a church to have, right? And we want to always be a part of that. And I know you hear missions and you think, ah, that's for teenagers. That, that's for somebody in a different place than I am. I don't think that's true. I think if you've ever prayed this prayer, God, would you set my heart on fire? God, would you make me more passionate? God, would you make it easier for me to hear your voice? I know in my life, mission trips have been a significant event where God's done phenomenal things that have set my heart on fire. We just live in a place that is gospel rich, right? We really, Jonathan said something last night that it's an embarrassment of churches. We have so many churches, but you go to other parts of the world where they don't have that. And they're desperate for the gospel. And it's such, it's such an easy place to be able to share about Jesus in other places. But I will say this. I think it's become easier to share about Jesus after the pandemic than it was before the pandemic. So I just encourage you, take a few minutes, look at it. If nothing else, it'll give you uh, an understanding of what our church does, how we do what we do, um, what the plan is right now. But maybe the Lord will speak to you. And uh, I would just encourage you, take a few minutes uh, with that right there. Okay. Jonathan said it. We're in. Um, you know, we take a couple of weeks a year and just do uh, our, our missions connection and our missions um, uh, time. And so last week, my pastor, John Stocker, came and taught. Um, we're doing it on Israel. We chose Israel. It's one of the places that we want to bring a focus to uh, this year. And so we, we gave him Genesis 12:3, and we decided to divide, divide that verse up. He'd do the first part. I'd do the second part. So how many of you heard Pastor John? Les, did you enjoy him? He was, he's good, huh? He's just, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. He's been retired now for, I think, close to 15 years. Um, and uh, he, he, um, when he gets up and he starts taking that same anointing that was on him when I was there 30 years ago, over 30 years ago, still rises up on him. And that's a, it's a powerful thing. Um, and then Jake, too. Jake, 
Thank you for the last couple of weeks before that. It was awesome. Appreciate you and your gift that you bring to Jubilee. Um, so we're doing, uh, it's Genesis 12, 3. Let me read it to you. I will bless those who bless you. Speaking of to Abraham, but about Israel. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. So Pastor John last week taught about the blessing and the curse there. And he used a great analogy. By the way, um, we didn't talk about, I, I didn't say, hey, here's what I've preached recently or here's what I've preached in the past. He, we did not have that conversation. And so if you attend church here, I, how many of you have heard that message he preached before? I, I taught that. That was not he and I collaborating and he and I getting together on something. And in fact, he used a completely different book than I was even aware of where he pulled some of that information from. You should listen to the message. It was really good. He just explained that uh, he used the U.S. And he said, when the U.S. has been a blessing to Israel, we have seen a national blessing. And when the U.S. has pressured Israel in different ways to give up land or to do things that God has said they couldn't do, then it, it has caused problems here. And he used some natural disaster things. It was really interesting and very good. The second part of the verse is this. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Speaking to Abraham, but talking about Israel, talking about the Jewish people, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So today, I'm going to try to take you there. How is Israel a blessing to all the nations? And if it says all people, right? So one more time. Will you go back to that, that verse? Yeah, Genesis 12, 3. Look at it one more time. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And what's that next word? And so one more time. And how many is all? So you laugh about that, but there are people who will misinterpret that all the time. All is, so would that mean Muslims? Would that mean Buddhists? Would it mean, it would mean Christians, it would mean Jews, it would mean all people, correct? And I think sometimes we read these verses as Western Christians thinking, okay, you know, as Christians, God, has, we, we see our roots in Judaism, right? We, we see the Old Testament uh, as a type and shadow, and Jesus is the fulfillment of those things in the New Testament, and so we can easily embrace those things. But God said, I'm going to make you a blessing to all people, not just Christians, not just Jews, but Buddhists and Muslims, uh, Hindus, all over the world. God wants to be a blessing to people and use Israel. Now, how is he going to do that? The easiest way to explain it, Galatians 3.16, this picks up. Uh, it's actually Paul writing about Genesis chapter 3, and he picks up that same idea. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And the promise was, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, and all the nations of the world will be blessed. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as of many, <clears throat> excuse me, but as of one, and to your seed, last three words are, who is, who is Christ. So here's what he's saying, just real simply to understand this. The way that Israel ultimately will be a blessing to the whole earth will be that Jesus is coming through that lineage, and Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one. And someday, the Bible says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Okay, so I want to switch gears, and I want to talk about that a little bit today. What will that look like? How will that happen? Uh, how will it take place? So if you're taking the notes and you want to fill in the blanks, right? You're doing it online, uh, using uh, uh, the online notes, then very quickly. The first one is just, you're not responsible for what you don't know. You're responsible for what you do know. Yep. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. You should be very thankful for that right there. You can't be judged for what you don't know. You're judged on what you do know. So let me read a scripture to you. This is from Romans, and I want to talk about the whole earth. And for people today, Jonathan mentioned we're doing work in North Korea, we're doing work in Iran, we're doing work in Iraq, we're doing work all over the world. Some places it's, it's easy to preach the gospel and it's not illegal. The reason that we can't put some things on the website is because it's illegal and it would cause those people trouble. And if you think like, do countries who don't want you to preach the gospel look at websites? Yes, they sure do. And that's, there are places today, more people are being martyred for Christ today than they were 2,000 years ago. That is the truth. More people are giving their life today for the gospel than ever before. And so um, we're, we're doing a lot of work in countries where it is, it's illegal and you have to be very quiet. In fact, we got two missionaries. Um, I, 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 I was just about to tell where they are today and I can't, can't do that. They're in a communist country today. Uh, and for the next week, we'll be ministering to pastors who it's illegal to have a church, it's illegal to preach the gospel, and they're there doing a pastor's conference. 
They have to sneak in. They have to set it up. I know, it's crazy. It is crazy. And it, it is, they take their lives in their hands when they go to do it, but they do it willingly. They do it gladly. And they've done it for years. They've done it for years. And I better say no more and stop right there. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it, how, how is the Lord a blessing to all the nations for people who've never had a chance to hear the gospel? Like people that have never, you and I, we've heard about Jesus how many times? We've grown up without it ever being, it's not illegal to say that name. It's not illegal to meet here today. We don't have to have any, any problem with it. There's no constraint. But all over the world, people are constrained, and people have still not heard the name of Jesus. When those people die, how's God going to handle that? And I kind of gave it away. You're not responsible for what you don't know. You're responsible for what you, you do know. Let me read this real quick. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. Here's how they've been seen. Uh, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So what that's saying simply is we can look at the creation and realize there's something very intelligent behind the creation. Yes. Now, I know our children go to schools that work overtime to take that thought away from them. It's all an accident. It's all a random uh, just a, uh, something that came together. But even, even at higher levels of education in colleges, when you're taught about thermodynamics, one of the laws of thermodynamics is this, that from chaos does not come order. From order comes chaos. What does that mean? You cannot have a big boom and then everything falls into place instantly. It has to come from intelligent design because you cannot have from chaos order. Something starts with order and then it, devolves into chaos. So here's the equivalent that I used last night. How many of you have ever shopped at Target? How many of you never heard of Target and you're like, what is, how many of you won't raise your hand no matter what I say today? You're just like, I am not going there with you. Okay, so you walk into Target or Walmart or whatever store you like to shop in, the mall, go to the mall and pick the mall. Any store you walk in, have you ever just walked down the aisles, picked something up and thought to yourself, this is amazing, nobody created this? Nobody shipped it, nobody packed it, nobody had a thought. It just, all, it just ended up on the shelves like magic. You ever done that? You did that, Kelly? You just thought, Kelly, something's wrong with you. Yeah, take that hat off because it's got to penetrate your brain this morning. Nobody ever walks in, buys something and thinks, oh, this just happened accidentally. We would say that is silly, that is impossible. That cannot be. How can we look at the earth? It's in such, it's in such a, an orbit that allows for life to exist on it. It tilts 23 and a half degrees every six months so that crops can be grown all over the world. It's divided equally in day and night. And we just say, well, it's all an accident. If it's all an accident, then it would be all around us. Thank you for that huge powerful <laughs> amen to that. All right, let me go this way. I'll give you an, an illustration of this idea. Now, I, I told this uh, at one time, but it, it, fits, it fits into this today really good. You're responsible not for what you don't know. You're responsible for what you do know. Chris and I were traveling, uh, and I can't even remember if we were going or coming back. I don't remember what it was. I think we were coming home, and um, I think we were speaking someplace, and had been gone a little bit and needed to get back. So we're flying United and uh, we jump on the plane and how many of you know they oversell planes all the time, right? Their, their hope is you know, some people are not gonna show up so they're trying to fill all the seats. So they oversell it hoping that the right amount will turn up. And when they oversell it and everybody shows up, what they try to do is to offer, hey, here's 20 bucks and a bag of pretzels if you'll give up your seat, right? And you're just, oh, that's such a good deal. Let me, let me do that, right? And so I told Chris, I said, we, can't, we cannot take the deal. We have to get home. We, we've got a child at home that, that needs us. Uh, he's, he's special, and we need to get home to him. And so um, they're, and they're offering everything to get us off the plane, and it is overpacked. It is so full. It's one of those ones, if you don't get on in time, you can't get your bags up in the over. You know, that's like every plane you take today, right? <laughs> So that's, we just can't do anything, and it's, so we sit down, and we're in the back, and it's three and three. And so here's, here's the deal that we have made with each other. Um, who gets to sit by the window? Well, it depends on who's going to be on the aisle. So we've got the middle seat and the window seat, 
and the aisle seat's open. If it's a woman that's going to sit in that seat, then Chris usually will get in the middle, and I'll get the window. If it's a man who sits in the seat, then I'll sit in the middle, and she gets the window. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they load the plane up, and it's ready to take off, and the seat next to us on the aisle is empty. And I'm like, Lord, you love us so much. <laughs> you are so good to us. So I actually get out of the middle seat, and I sit over on the aisle, and I buckle up, and then sure enough, here comes a guy running on the plane. And he's, he's a businessman. He's got all of his stuff. And he's used to, you know, he's, he's a, um, he travels heavily, <clears throat> excuse me, because he's got all the stuff that fits together. He doesn't ever check his bags. You know, you know what I'm just, he's a professional traveler, right? So he gets on and he's got all this stuff and there's no room. So the guy's in a huff and he sits down. And I know, I know where he's going to sit. There's no other open seat. So I scoot back to the middle and then I'm like, why don't you sit in the middle? No, it's a guy. I'm sitting over here. She won't even look at me. She's just looking out the window. <laughs> So the guy sits down, and he's like, he flies on another airline. The way he got on the flight, he flies on another airline, and he's like a two-million-mile flyer for American. But his flight got canceled, and so the airlines work together, especially with, with high-level passengers to get them on a flight. So the guy ends up on a flight, and he normally flies first, but now he's flying in the... So he's mad about flying in the back. He's mad about getting on late. He's mad that there's no place. So he's just kind of... Can you picture kind of how this guy is, right? And so as he goes to sit down... I, I do the most gracious thing that I know how to do. I put my earphones on so that he can't, he can't talk to me. <laughs> Anybody else? It's like, you know, this is my private space. You cannot come into this space right here. Leave me alone. So I have my earphones on. The guy sits down and immediately starts talking to me. So I do the old, and he thinks that means talk louder. So he starts almost like in a real loud voice. Who are you? What's your name? Where are you going today? What are you, you know, just this whole thing. So I'm, Take I make a big <sighs> what? Where are you coming from? What are you doing? I mean, just tell him the story real quick. And he says, What do you do? This is my second chance to get the guy to be quiet, right? Because I've got the ace in the hole, which is I'm a pastor. And usually what happens when you say that is people rewind in their brain all the curse words that they've been saying in front of you. Or all the vile things that have been going on. And then they, they get real, they may apologize. Usually they just face front and they don't want to say anything else to you. Uh, so I, I'm a pastor. And we've just been speaking. We're headed back home. And the guy, I know you're going to say this sounds crazy. This kind of thing happens to us all the time. Chris is sitting by the window in the middle of the guys right here. And the guy in a very loud voice. He's talking very, very, like I'm talking right now. So that the whole plane is paying attention. Remember the old E.F. Hutton when E.F. Hutton talks? Everybody, everybody leans forward. So that's what's happening. Everybody's leaning forward. The guy goes like this. You mean to tell me that people who don't believe like you are going to go to hell? That's, that's his sentence. <laughs> and he says it so loud. That it's like totally quiet all around us. Like, oh, what's the preacher going to say now? So, I mean, it's just a moment of the Holy Spirit inspiration. This is what I said. What would you say? What'd you say? Yes. 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 <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> yes is a good answer, but I was looking for a way to... to just to get into his heart, I'm thinking it, this has to be a God moment. And McFly, I mean, you know, like if you pray, God, give me an opportunity, and the Lord gives you something, you can't go, well, this must be the devil who wants me to share. This, this is God, right? So I'm, I, I just say to him real quickly, actually, I'm not saying to you anything. You're the one asking me. So I'm not telling you that people who don't believe the way that I believe are going to hell, you're the one who made that statement to me. But since you asked, <laughs> here's what I believe. I believe that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And that Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and he is risen from the dead. And that if you place your faith and trust in him, <laughs> there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. And I said, and by the way, no one's responsible for what they don't know but now you know. Just like that. Uh, and the guy, Mr. Big Mouth, suddenly turns straight forward 
and doesn't say another word. Plane takes <laughs> off. We're flying. It's quiet all around us, too. I'm just like, I put my headphones back on. Doo, 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 doo. We land. He gets his stuff. He's trying to get off the plane really quick. And in that loud voice, he turns around and he yells, if there were more preachers like you, the world would be a better place. Yeah. How about that? It was a proud moment. You know, I looked over. Finally, Chris is paying attention to me now and <laughs> looking at what's going on on the plane. Now she's proud. Now you're not responsible for what you don't know. You're responsible for what you do know. How will God handle those who have never been told? What's your opinion about that? Are they condemned to hell? Yeah, that's, hey, this is a big question. Because we always think, we answer it in the terms of we know about Jesus and we know that if a person rejects the only method to salvation. Because Jesus said of himself, these aren't my words, my testimony. This is what Jesus said. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. And anyone who goes any other way is a thief. That's pretty narrow. Agreed? And it does not fly in the face of our world today, does it? Because everybody believes Jesus, if he existed, may be a way, he may be a truth, and he may be a path, but he's not my path necessarily. But Jesus himself said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no man comes to the Father unless they come through me. So how does God handle those who have never had the chance to know about Jesus? So I think you can't find a scripture, one scripture, that gives an indication of how he does it. But we can look at God's nature and his character. Would you agree with me that God loves us? Yes. Would you agree with me that God is fair? Yes. Would you agree with me that God is able to do things that you and I don't know how to do? Yes. With man it's impossible, but with God all things are? And God doesn't exist in a time frame like we exist either. God is without beginning and without end. Now we are born and we will die... And that little dash on most tombstones represents that point where you live. Yes or no? So for me, 64 to 2064. I don't, I don't. <laughs> Golly, you don't even agree that I'll live a long time. I mean, <laughs> that little dash makes up that in between that life that we live. And because we're finite, not infinite, and we have a beginning and an end, we live with time. So that when a person dies, our time is that from the moment they quit breathing to instantly they stand before the Lord and they have to give an answer. But do you believe if God doesn't exist in time, can he take a split second and turn? So the Bible says a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. And that doesn't mean literally a thousand years. It means that there's no time with God. So does God have time to do things that you and I are unaware of? Is it possible? Would you just say it's possible? Yes. So I can't give you one scripture that points to a person who never heard about Jesus and what God did with him, but I can point to God's nature and character, that he's true, that he's good, that he's faithful, and that he's just. Yes. And I can tell you a story here real quick that we can point and look at some clues. So this is Romans chapter 11, 11 through 12, and I'm going to use Israel real quick because the Jews, according to Paul and according to the gospel that we believe, the Jews have been intentionally blinded to Christ so that the Bible says so that the time of the Gentiles, so that the Gentiles means without God. So who's a Gentile? All of us who didn't have a covenant, who now have a covenant because of what God promised Israel. So I'll, I'll just read it to you. So Paul's writing, and again I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Are, are they so far gone? Is Israel so far gone? Have they rejected Jesus that there's no recovery? And look at his words. Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. And look at this next part right here. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, look at this. How much greater riches will their full, what's that word? So he gives us a clue. Look at me. Somehow, God has made provision for Israel to find Jesus before it's all said and done. So you want to know what that day is going to look like? So let me, let me show you this. Is that Zechariah scripture right there? Okay, so this Zechariah is an Old Testament, a minor prophet. Uh, most of Zechariah is written in things that will come, not the things that have happened, okay? 
So follow with me real quick. So this is a prophecy about the return of the Lord and how the Lord in one day, in one moment, will reconcile the world to himself. So look at this. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. This is a battle that's not happened yet. It will happen. Uh, that's the first part of the verse. And then go, go to three. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. And on that day, though this is talking about Jesus returning to the earth, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. Those who have been to Jerusalem with me, how many of you stood on the Mount of Olives with me? And we look right down and we, we say, this is where Jesus will return. This is the gate that he's going to come through. This is where the temple will be. This is where Jesus will set up his reign on the earth. It's that you should go to Israel with me. You should go with me. All right, uh, so, and the Mount of Olives, when Jesus touches down on it, when he returns, the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half of it moving south. This is just prophetic. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Uh, look now, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Who's all the holy ones? Yes, good. Hey, you. Four of us. Four of us are coming back. What are the rest of you doing? You're, yeah, there you go. We may not be vocal about it, but we're coming with you. Okay. So look, on that day, the day of the Lord's return, there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique, a one-of-a-kind day, a day known only to the Lord. About that day and hour, no one knows except the Lord, right? With no distinction between day and night. And when evening comes, there will be light. Keep watching. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Half of it uh, east to the Dead Sea. Half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea. Ezekiel says that wherever the river goes, everything will live. The Dead Sea will turn to life. Also meaning that people who are dead spiritually, wherever the Holy Spirit goes, you live. And on this day, a day like no other day, this water, the Holy Spirit, is going to flow from Jerusalem in a way it's never flown before. And it will touch all people. All right. So on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it uh, east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. Keep watching. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. Read that with me. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name the is that true today? Yes. I want it to be. You want it to be. For us, it's true. But is it true for a Muslim? No. Is it true for a Buddhist? No. Is it true for people who have never heard? No. So how then can this come to be? How can there be one Lord, our Lord, and one name worshipped? Jesus said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Look at me real quick. The whole earth will see the return of Jesus and there will be no other God who returns and in one day everyone will have the opportunity to see that he is Lord because the one look you could go to a Middle Eastern country that is Muslim today and you could preach the gospel but in many ways they're hardened to it although let me I'll show you a Muslim who's become a Christian we're, don't look both ways. It's you, my brother. Stand up here for a minute. This is Ari. Ari's our new youth pastor. Uh, yeah. And um, I'll introduce he and his family next week. He's got four beautiful children and an awesome wife. And um, he's married far above himself, believe me. He's, uh, yeah. He's a, but um, Ari grew up as a Muslim. And Ari's testimony is that uh, someone shared Christ with him. And changed his life. And this, this bro is on fire for Jesus. I'm excited for our youth, who they are and what they will do. And I will give you a chance to share next week. This is my turn right now. You'll get a chance next week. Love you and thank you for letting me do it. So it does happen, but it happens in a limited way today. But the one thing that will instantly convince people are willing to say they're wrong if there's proof they're wrong. And the one proof would be if everyone saw Jesus return to the earth. How are you going to argue? With, well, that's, that's probably special effects on you. Be no arguing with it. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
that Jesus is Lord in one day. So how does God, how will he handle this? So, but what about people that have died? I, I, I can't say beyond any shadow of a doubt that there's a scripture that says that God has a way to do this. But what we saw, he has a way with Israel. He has a way with us. So what makes us think that he can't have a way with someone who's never heard the gospel before? Because in my mind, it would be completely unfair for God to convict something on somebody who never knew anything about it. You agree with that? It's got to be a way. And I think, quite honestly, I think when we get to heaven, we think we know who's going to be there. People may be actually shocked that you're there. That may be, the most shocking thing may not be the people who are there. It may be that you made it. Because we're so sure we know everything and we got everything. And I know in Christ that is a surety. But sometimes we're so judgmental about everything. God, Jesus has died for every person. People who know him and people who don't. And there has to be a way. There just has to be a way. All right, so how in the world will he bless all people? The second one, if you want the fill in the blank, we're responsible for the good news. Matthew 24, 14. Uh, this is Pastor Jonathan, one of the verses the Lord used in calling him into missions. And this, this is really interesting. Uh, this gospel, and by the way, the word gospel, do you know what gospel means? Who, who said it clearly over here? Good news. The word gospel means good news. We are responsible for good news, not bad news. Not kind of shaky news. Uh, in, in the book of, uh, of Peter, it says every believer needs to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's inside of them. You don't have to memorize the salvation plan, but if you'll just share the reason that you're hopeful in a day that is not hopeful. And so then I would ask this question today. If you are not hopeful and you know Jesus, what's wrong with you? You should be hopeful. You should be full of life, full of joy, convicted and convinced that God is not done with us, not done with the world because we're still here. Amen. He has put hope in our heart and he has put joy in us and he has put life in us. The word enthusiastic comes from an old uh, uh, first century word, in theo, God in them. The word enthusiastic, the first generation of Christians because they were under pressure with their lives and they stayed enthusiastic about God, they came up with, they are enthusiastic for what they believe. God is in them. Is it true today? Yes. We live in a, a it, the, the, the world is hostile to the gospel. We feel like we are pressed and pushed down. We're not supposed to share. Even in that, are we, are you excited? Yes. Are you hopeful? Yes. Gosh, if you have Jesus, you have to be. I would almost say, if you're not, do you know Jesus? And I know people can get in funny places. And I know stuff can happen in every believer's life. But inside of us should be a hope that we're ready to share with a world who has no hope. There's not much to be hopeful about anymore. It's not going to come through politics. We've got a reason to be hopeful. Be willing to share that hope. Okay, so we're responsible for the good news. Um, <laughs> I don't, this is rhetorical. Do not raise your hand. I'm not putting you on the spot. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not trying to mess with you. Uh, just think about it. Think about it in your, in your head real quick, and you don't need to respond. When's the last time you shared the hope that's inside of you? How long has it been? Have you ever? And if you have, how long has it been? So I think if you pray, I think if you just live the life that Jesus came to bring us, the abundant life, people will ask. You'll get all sorts of opportunities. I, I had two this week. Uh, first one came, I got a haircut, needed one desperately. It wasn't the world's greatest haircut. The saying is, nothing grows slower than a bad haircut. Now everybody's looking at my hair <laughs> as, I, as I say that right there, right? Here's what happened. A uh, lady that cuts my hair has gone to cutting it one day a week because she has a special needs child at home. And she's divorced and has no help. And her child um, is profoundly handicapped, nonverbal, acts out, can be violent. And this gal 
cutting hair one day a week, trying to make ends meet, and has to take the other six and take care of her. She's got uh, three daughters, and the youngest is profoundly handicapped. We have a special son. It's not at a higher functioning level than that, but I just told her. She just starts talking to me about it, and has for the last three or four times I've cut, had my hair cut. But so while she's cutting it, she's just talking about how difficult it is, and I tell her, listen, I don't have sympathy for you. I have empathy for you. I know. And people who don't have that, they, they can look and see, but they don't know until they know. Exactly. You don't know until you know. And so I let her just share, and then I just tell her, um, hey, listen, Jesus has moved to compassion in your situation. He cares about you, and he cares about your daughter. I said, you don't know this, but my wife and I have been praying for you. And she just starts crying while she's cutting my hair. Now I'm thinking, why didn't I wait 15 minutes to just share this? It's just all over the place. Yeah, it's okay. Sacrifice a bad haircut. I was going to say I'd sacrifice my hair, but I won't. Uh, sacrifice a bad haircut. Um, just to be able to share the hope that was in me for a few minutes. And then um, we have some folks that come and help Chris clean the house. And the lady, it's, it's been a lot of years that she's been coming, but her daughter has cancer. And I was there by myself, and she came in to the house and just walked into my office. And she just said, hi, John. This is very unusual for her. I said, how are you? And she just started talking about her daughter. And I knew it's another opportunity just to bring heaven to earth for a quick second. So again, I told her, I said, man, we've been praying for your daughter. And Jesus is a healer. And he cares. He truly cares. And he sent me to tell you that. Dude, she's crying. Just heaven on earth for just a minute. Just the hope that's inside. When's the last time? You were willing to share the hope, or you were looking to share the hope inside of you. We talk about missions, and we see missions as you got to pack your luggage, you got to go across, you got to, that is a version of missions. Missions is, is this, man. Missions is this. It's just to tell people the hope that's inside of you. Do you have hope? Do you? Because if you know Jesus, you have to. You have to be full of hope. We are responsible for the good news. We, we are without excuse. We've got to bring this. And I'm not trying to beat on you. I'm not trying to talk down to you. I am saying this is what it's supposed to be like. Give you the last one. We're responsible not for but with truth. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you what? Hmm. Um. In my lifetime, we've never lived, I've never experienced a time where truth was more questioned than it is today. Things that were taken for granted when I was growing up are no longer taken for granted. Isaiah said it this way, Woe to you when right is wrong, wrong is right, when a lie is put for the truth and a truth is put for the lie, and when truth lies fallen in the street. Does it feel like that's the day we live in today? And yet we're called to be hopeful in the middle of that. To be hopeful. You're responsible with the truth. And I wrote in my notes just this real, we live in a time where truth is questioned and twisted. But we think this is the only time, and that's not true. There's nothing new under the sun. Jesus had an experience with Pontius Pilate, where Pilate, while he is judging Jesus, says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus mostly kept his mouth shut to fulfill prophecy. But on this, for some reason, he answers Pilate, and he says, it is as you say, this is the truth. And Pilate comes back with this. I, maybe it's half searching, but I think half of it is just smart aleck. He says to Jesus, what is truth? And then washes his hands of Jesus and sends him away. And we live in a day where when you say this is the truth, people look at you and say, what is truth? There is no absolute truth. Yes, there is. And you are responsible not for truth. Only God is responsible. But you are responsible with truth. We cannot hold our tongue. In a world that needs to hear the truth. But let me say this. Some people hear that and they think, all right, I'm going to go out with a sword and I'm, a, I'm like a kamikaze for Jesus. <laughs> Jesus needs no kamikaze. 
He needs people with wisdom. He needs people with heart. So let me say it this way. Yes, with love. So John 1.17, I've used this when I've taught on parenting. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. In the world, you have to be a little bit of Moses who knows what truth is, but you also have to be Jesus who loves and has grace and mercy. Listen, we tell the truth in love. So truth by itself is brutal. Love by itself allows for everything, but truth and love together is powerful. It's powerful. We live at a time where people today need to know what the truth is. Let me close with this, and it's not an indictment on our church. It's an indictment on the age that we live in. Just listen real quickly. Um, Six months ago or so, we were still in the school. Um, Let me back up. Katie and I were at a teaching team meeting, and Kate brought Ivory with her that day. Ivory is not in school yet. She just turned three, but she was two at the time. So she's sitting at the table with us, and in order to occupy her, Katie handed her her phone and was letting her watch a little video. And the video was a Blue's Clues video. Blue's Clues. Like... I don't think any adult in this room goes home and watch, unless you have little children and you are brain damaged for, you know, you're going to watch things like that. So she's watching Blue's Clues and Blue's Clues is singing about, aimed at one and two year olds. So listen to my point. Listen to my point. Blue's Clues is singing about, I showed it to the, how many of you saw the video that I showed? Blue's Clues is singing about the day we live in and the way people view sexuality today. And the way they view gender today. Now, if you're an adult and that's what you believe, we live in a free world, in a free country. You believe whatever you want to believe. But if you're aiming it at two-year-olds, now it's an agenda. Now, it's not something that an adult is doing in the privacy of their home. Now, it's something that's happening with people trying to capture a brain so that when these kids grow up, they'll believe that's what the truth is. And while watching this, it so offended me. I'm like, what in the world is this? And how many parents turn it on, put their kid in front of it, and have to go do something? And I get it. I'm not talking down to you, but they're doing something else, and, they're trying to, and their kid is being filled. Not with truth, but with lies. So I show this thinking that everybody in my church is pretty much going to see what I saw and be stirred up. You would be surprised at the email I've got with people who wrote me and said, I thought Jubilee was a place of love. How can you stand against that? If the church doesn't know what truth is anymore, the world is in trouble. We are in trouble. Listen. And this is not, I'm not taking truth and trying to beat any. Jesus died for everybody. God loves everybody. And we do our best work when we do what our Father does. We love and we care. We tell the truth with love. So you can't just love and not have truth, and you can't just have truth and not have... You've got to have both, and it's tough to balance it. But if the church loses his way, this world has no hope. So how do we know what truth is? What does the Word of God say? Because this isn't my opinion. This has to go back to the very basics of if the Bible says something directly, we have to agree on it if we are Christ followers. And if it doesn't say something directly, then we choose charity. We allow for love to help people. And we're patient and we work with people. But if it says it directly, dudes, if we start praying about, listen to this, listen. If we start praying about things that God has already said no to, we open ourselves up to be deceived. Did you hear what I said? Say one more time. You might want to write it down. It's a keeper. It's a freebie at the end of the service. If we start praying about things that God has already said no to, we are asking to be deceived. We are asking for the enemy to tell us a different story so that we can believe that and embrace that. And the church today, many people are deceived. They're rejecting truth. Not my truth, but the truth that God has laid out for us. It's funny because... Salvation is super wide. Whosoever will may come. That's the gospel, Ari. Whosoever will may come. So anybody can come to salvation. But to be a disciple, the road gets very narrow, doesn't it? So many people come and easily call the name of Christ. But to bow your knee.
to Jesus and to make him the Lord of your life means certain decisions have to be made. That even if I don't like that, I will do that because that's who Jesus is. So are you a fan who claps when Jesus comes near? Or are you a disciple who will do whatever it takes even if it gets difficult? What day do we live in? I would call you to truth, to love, to mercy. Hmm. Pray with me. Father, I bless you and I thank you for the chance to speak to your people. To bring your good news. God, to balance truth with love and love with truth. Father, I know in, guys listen, in church, not Jubilee, but capital C, the church. There's just so much, so much of the world has infiltrated the church. Not in the things that we do, not in... It's in what we believe to be truth or if we do believe there is truth. And I think many people today, they know the truth of Jesus. Like, I want to go to heaven, but they don't want the truth of discipleship, which is here's how God calls us to walk. He doesn't call the whole world to walk that way. He calls believers to walk that way. And if you claim to be a Christ follower, then the truth of Jesus the things that he said, he said, if you love me, keep my commands. And I know it's a little bit of a kind of an in-your-face word, but the truth will make you free. The truth is like a guiding light. It's like a north star. It, it's like a way when everything else gets dark. The truth gives us hope. It gives us help. It gives us direction. It brings us through. It's so important today to hold on to truth. And if you're like, I, what is truth? Get your Bible out. Go back to it. It's a love letter written to you containing truth. Ways to live. Ways to love. Ways to serve. Even the purpose for your life. Why are you here? You got to go to the manufacturer of the product to ever figure out the purpose of the product. You will not find the reason for your existence in anything of this world. You will only find it in the eternal, in the one who created you. Man, I would call you to truth today. If you feel angry and upset right now, why? Why? The truth will make you free, but many times it'll make you mad too. Why? Tell the Lord, I want to know the truth. I want to be free. The foundation for all our truth is that God loves us and that he sent his son Jesus to prove it. And what was broken between us and God has been repaired through Jesus. And that God stands today, arms wide open, wanting to be reconciled to you. But reconciliation is always a two-party act. One person cannot reconcile if the other one does not want to reconcile. God has made reconciliation possible. He sent Jesus. Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead. God justified him. He now sits at the right hand of the Father and God's arms are wide open inviting you to relationship. The second part of the equation is you saying to the Father, I want reconciliation. I want relationship. I want your mercy. I want your forgiveness. I want your life. And you can live your whole life knowing about those things and never bringing those things inside your heart. And that's where I'm asking right now. What's going on in your heart? Do you know this Jesus that I'm preaching about? Do you know his love? Have you experienced his mercy and his forgiveness? 
Have you found the joy and the hope that I'm talking about? If you say, Pastor, no. I don't know it. I know about it. I've heard you teach on it before. But I don't know it. I don't know him. I just know about him. And something in your heart right now says to you, you need to know God. You need his mercy. You need his grace. You need his life. You need to be reconciled. If that is you and you say, Pastor John, pray for me today because I need that in my life. Would you just slip your hand up right now and say, pray for me, Pastor. I see you. see you. Yep. Yep. Several of us. You can put them back down. Several. Many. This is not some moment where you just come in and you pray a prayer and then go back and do whatever you were doing. This is the moment where you bow your knee and say, Jesus, I open my heart, my life to you. I need you. God, I want to know. And I want you to speak to me. And I believe that in sincerity, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever's happening, if you come to God, he will come to you. He will help you. He will be merciful to you. You can experience the joy in the life that I talked about today. And it begins with that simple place where you just said, God, I need you. I need your mercy. I need your love. I need your life. I'm going to pray for you, but it's not my words that are going to get this done. I'm going to pray for you just to show you how. But I want you in your heart, if this is what you want, be saying to the Father, yes, that's it. Yes, do that. So, Father... Forgive us for our sins. Have mercy on us today. God, thank you for loving us, for caring for us, for sending Jesus. When we couldn't help ourselves, you helped us. And we know what love is because you first loved us, God. We didn't love you. We weren't pursuing you. We weren't even thinking about you. You were pursuing us. And today you capture many people's attention. Awesome. Bravo. But God, don't let it come to just a point where we pray a prayer and then off we go. Change our lives today, God. Take out the old and give us the new. God, we don't want to be cleaned up. We don't want, Father God, to be dusted. God, what we want, take out the old and give us the new today. New life. Real hope and real joy. Not something that just is coming and going, but something that is eternal. Father, speak today and do what you do so well. God, you put eternity in all of our hearts. Speak to us about those things today. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, Lord. Bring the new life in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. All right.